I beg of you not to be comfortable. Scientific tests prove. I beg of you not to lean back and say what a brave little old woman to talk about her sins. Let your own taste be the judge. Prove to yourself what scientific tests prove. To be. You know that you're aware of this song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know the name? No. Her Sins. Okay. But, you know, that is, that is if we think women ever make mistakes, which, uh, I don't know. No, it's just, it's good. On their good, perspective. Good background music. It's ch- it's like working. trance, chill, yeah. good beat. Good to work to. I believe it. Yeah, man. All right, Brendan McKay, baby. Yeah, buddy. In the hot, I mean, no, you're in the, you're, in the, <laughs> you're the guest. The guest is always, is never wrong. <laughs> Host, on the other hand, I know who some of your guests have been. I don't know about that. Say it again. I said I know who some of your guests have been. I don't know about that statement. <laughs> yeah, we got LD on the podcast, but like, we're gonna. I'm gonna for for my sake. I kind of like I botched that one. It was just like for reasons that you know, can probably will probably stay off air. I don't want it to go live. That's you know, so we're gonna we're gonna, moving forward. We're gonna rock and roll that one again um, another time. Um, but anyway, Brennan McKay, welcome to Pillars of Community. Yeah, buddy. Thanks yeah, for having me, man. baby. So we let, we let in with La Orange. <laughs> Not La, La Orange, but La Orange. Something a little different. I remember Orange was, uh, I was talking about spelling. We were just talking about how to spell mortitude. Yeah. Um, there's that silent T in there that gets no love. <laughs> but uh, I remember a spelling test when my dad was around and was like, I could not spell orange. He's like, well, rhyme it with something. I'm like, that's just not yeah, funny, no. dad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know at the time. I'm like, I was sat there on the side of the bed. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> he's like, I'm just kidding. I'm like, all right. I see where I get my sense of humor from. Um, but he's like, O-R-A-N-G-E, like a rainbow. I'm like, okay. Now, and that worked. And, you, I, and I remember that freaking story it. from now second grade. It. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. How's your day been today? My day's been really good, man. Um, got up, did meditation, workout, all that jazz. Yeah, hung out with the kids. Yeah, started working. Love it, dude. So you work. So you work. Uh, work out, then meditate. Meditate, then work out. Work out, then meditate. Great. That's a good way to do it. That is a routine. I would say. You know, you get you burn. You get a sweat. Uh, you burn some calories, whatever, and you. The post workout sort of high, that natural experience, which is which is a lot of people say is like the best high, um, uh, like regard higher than like you know alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be. It's the high, um, is awesome. Yeah, get you <laughs> and going, then it, and it's and it's a great after that. It's a really good time to meditate. You say you meditate outside. Uh, you know, by the pond, weather weather dependent, the koi, koi pond, weather dependent. But yeah, uh, we got uh, we bought a new house in the beginning of the summer, and there's an awesome koi pond back there with you know filter spitting into it, running good, tranquil place. Yeah, good. Um, it's the best, the best. All right, and then you get your day started. Mister Brendan McKay um, has been in sort of the mortgage banking industry much of your life. Yeah, My professional life. I should say professional life. I. Uh, after the crash in 2008, took a took a break and did financial planning for a couple of years. Um, then took a, a shorter break and and tried to get into sports and wrote for a basketball website for about a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I did my best. I gave it gave, gave it my all, and it did not work out. And then went back to mortgages, and and that's better than rap ever since. I bet. I mean, we can talk about writing. I could talk about writing all day. Um, but that's that's a tough one to like sustain yourself in that industry. I would think it's it is saturated. Especially writing, especially anymore. The sports side of it, man. Like yeah. anything sports related is incredibly saturated because sports are cool and everyone wants to do it. And at the time, I was. You know, I was like 31 years old and already had a mortgage and was competing for positions with kids right out of college that didn't care if they made 20 or $30,000 a year, you know? So, uh, no, but I, I was really glad I did it. I learned a lot. It was I really bet. fun and I it's bet. a good story, but yeah, yeah man. the, um, Tony Kornheiser, uh, he's a Columbia member. We we're talking about Columbia earlier. Uh, I, I slipped a note in his locker. I'm like, hey, come on my podcast, Tony. <laughs> and then he got back to me. Will Bond didn't, Mike, if you're listening. Um, he's like, I can't do it outside of contract. I'm like, come on. You, you, you got to where you are, Tony, by, by breaking the rules, not the law. <laughs> I think we all kind of know that. No, I mean, push, retire pushing soon. some, you know, yeah. pushing boundaries. Yeah, good point, though. But um, he said about writing, he's like, I wrote this column. I played golf with him one time. He's like, I used to have the column in the post, right? We all know that. And he's like, uh, then I started the, the radio show, and then, then the PTI started to take off. And he's like, it's a lot more easier to, to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do a half hour show, you know, and you're done. I mean, writing writing's tough, man. Yeah. The whole process. If you want to, if you want to give it your own and 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 offer your best product, it, it's, it, it's a tough process. It it's, is. It's a time, I just say it's a time consuming process. I love it. But like, isn't it amazing when you're when you're in the zone, you're writing about something, you're doing it, and you look up, and it's like, how did fifty minutes just pass? Agreed. You know Agreed what I'm completely. And it's like, a really cool zone it, if you have the time for it. Especially if you're like, uh, now most of my writing is is done professionally, but yeah. like put out there in, in front of a good amount of people, and I am painstaking about the words that I use. Yeah. Um, when you're talking to a, a thousands of people and all of them have different viewpoints, whether it's on the topic you're talking about or over everything in general, you have to be incredibly careful with your words, especially in like the age of social media, where someone will take one little thing that you say and twist it to mean something that you clearly didn't intend. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, but I, I enjoy it too. I enjoy like now it's just the a craft of like making sure my message is as clear as possible. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy it. I like it. It's, uh, I mean, we don't have to stay on the topic, but it's like, I don't know if uh, you don't want to offend, you know, people, obviously nobody wants to hurt anyone's feelings, but if you're, if you're filtering and screening uh, uh, half the words or whatever, it becomes really hard to, to dig to the truth that you're trying to convey hard or time consuming, or or maybe it, it, it pushes toward like an impossibility. It does, and it, I mean, I think so. That you can worry about offending people, which I understand why you said that. That's not something I'm, I'm particularly concerned about. But like, it is ex- incredibly difficult to craft your message in a way that you are clearly heard, and it's why large companies pay people hundreds of thousands and companies millions of dollars to communicate for them. Right? Like, if you're going to put a message out there that wide, and they they've been paying people to do that kind of stuff for years, right? And now, with social media, every Tom, Dick, and Jane can get their message out in front of hundreds of thousands of people, and they don't have they don't have that kind of expertise and that experience. And I don't know, so I I see the frustration in it, but I I have hope. I'm hopeful that like as people get more and more used to communicating over social media, they'll get better at it. I think part of the problem is you have generations of people that didn't use technology at all that are now suddenly communicating over social media, and 
I, they're not good at it, frankly. Um, and I think each generation that comes after us will be better and better at it. So you're saying like the younger generation knows how to communicate well over social media? I do. I do. Um, I, I, what does that mean to communicate well over social media? It's just a different form of communication. Yeah. It, like whether you're responding on somebody's Facebook feed, that is massively different than, than communicating someone face to face, right? Like if you and I are communicating face to face on a topic that we disagree about, uh-huh. I can pick up like intonations from you and, and, and where it's like, Oh, hold on. Something I said just didn't go right with Billy. Yeah. Let me step back. Let me, let me rephrase what I was saying to get my point across. Yeah. You can't do that over social media, right? It's, it's text block. Nope. Now here's my text block. Here's yours. Here's yours. And it's just not something people are used to. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I think our younger generations are master communicators like in person. There's a lot of reasons to believe that they're worse at that because they, they do less of it. But um, it's social media. Clearly, they're, they're they have to be better, right? It's they're doing it. They've, li- they've lived it. They've lived probably it. as you know as long as they can like re- remember walking. You know. Yeah, and um, you just have to think about what you're writing from the perspective of the people that are hearing it. Whether it's the people that one particular audience that you want to hear it, and you might not care what anyone else reads it says, or if you really are just communicating to everybody. You just want to think about like what you're saying and how it's heard, not just like how it's coming out of your brain. You know? and even, I mean, yes. And then even for the, the receptor, the hearer, um, like don't take it 100% literal as applied to all circumstances. Yep. And you can have you can have a civilized conversation in block text or whatever, whatever you call it uh, back and forth. If you just like, can you clarify this point? It's just like a conversation. That, if you can take the principles of respect and curiosity and intrigue uh, and open-mindedness of a conversation and apply it to the black and white of the written word over social media, that's you're 100% correct. immensely important. If I listen to you and you're saying something that I disagree with and, and then I'm responding in person, I'm like, it's not, it's pretty rude to just like blast back immediately on like what I hate about what you said, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm going to say, I hear what you're saying, but. And like nobody says that on social media and it needs to be said more. It's just like, I hear what you're saying. Make that bond of connection between the two of us and what we're talking about and then go on to disagree what you disagree about. It needs to be know? remembered because as we well are well aware, as um, hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone is should. I think people should be well aware that the social media thing is so lightning fast. It's yeah. on to the next thing. It's on to the next scroll. It's on to the next post. Um, but a- anything that in life like that. I don't know that that try, attempts to get at meaningful truth take is going to take time. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying so little exchanges back and forth, and you think that okay, I'm I can I'm, I'm going to move on to my next sort of uh, entertainment or a post on the on a social media, or I have to go on about my day. It's you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't take it as like you know gospel or you know take it to the bank you know just gotta anyway that's just a cautionary thing. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> anyway. Um, how the mortgages. First off, do you know where the word mortgage comes from? Do you know the etymology of it? <laughs> I don't either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I'm not. Pro- probably Latin. I have no probably idea. Probably Latin or Greek. I, sh- I, I suppose I should silent. know that. I'm going to find out by tomorrow, so I can tell you that. I used to, when I was teaching, I was like, all right, I need the silent letters. I'm like, I'm making a list of the silent letters on the board. We're going to look out for those suckers. But anyway, mor- mortgage. Um, you like it. I love it. Why? I absolutely love it. So... I like it for a lot of reasons. When it number one, it comes down to is that it's more fast paced than you would think. And then at the end of the day, 
you're actually helping people in meaningful, direct ways. Um, and they have a ton of appreciation for what you do. If you're helping somebody buy a house, especially their first house, um, you know, that's the biggest part of the American dream. And I, they, they love it. And you were a big part of it. And the more of a personal connection you can make with those people and they'll remember you forever. And I just think it's awesome and impactful. So you'd have like the realtor helps find the right match of a house. And then they're like, all right. I need, I don't have enough cash to pay cash. Which is so most, it's like, most people. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so they're going to go to a bank or they, you know, instead of that, they go to you. Could they go right to the bank? They and, could. And bypass. They could. Fewer but, and fewer people do okay. now. Um, I mean, there's some so, people depending on their situation, but yeah. So the realtor most likely will set you up with a broker such Oftentimes. as yourself. Yep. More and more people are going to someone like me first. Cause they need to know how much house they can afford before okay. they go look at them. Right. Okay. Like, so if like you insinuate, if you're not paying in cash, like what your monthly payment is, how much money you need to bring to closing are the more important things. So then taking that and figuring out how much house you can afford um, or so they'll come to me first or they will go to a realtor first. And nowadays every realtor, the first thing they're going to do is say, all right, before I take you out looking at houses, we need to make sure you're pre-approved. And then they would refer uh, pre-approved for like a mortgage, right? Pre-approved for a mortgage. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 I gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, I, when I <laughs> excuse me, when I bought this house, it was like this is my first. I, just, I lived in a condo in Bethesda, and then um, this is my first um, home, and uh, it was emotional. Alyssa uh, yeah. Crilly, you might know her. She I lives do. In, the, in the neighborhood. She helped. Actually, my mom. It's kind of funny. Like my mom was. We're family friends with the Krillies growing up and all. Um, actually, yeah, actually, uh, never mind. Sorry for another time. Um, <laughs> no, stay on task, it's, it's, Go it's, ahead. It's super stressful. It's super emotional. It's incredibly stressful. Um, and people, it's also a process that they only go through a couple times in their lives. And everything about it's complicated and it's foreign to what they're doing. Even if they're involved in other financial stuff, the way a mortgage works and the way the real estate transaction works is not like any normal. It, 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 you can't just like logic your way through it kind of thing. So um, being there to hold people's hands as, as they go through it and make sure they understand it so that they feel in control of the situation um, yeah. is what we do, man. Yeah. Think think through it all. Be an, another set of ears and expertise for sure that understands the nuts and bolts. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, you try to be as... I would think, even though you're, tr- you're obviously in business, but a good business person, I think, would uh, let the person make a decision, uh, an informed decision on their own. Yep. Um, and if that means no business for you, then so be it. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? It, um, I, 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 I can absolutely. I, I'm that way knowing that that is rarely going to be the case, right? But like, yeah, absolutely. I want whatever's best for that client. Um, and even if it means it's not business with others, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's fine. I'm not like, we're not in it to close one deal or two deals. Like we're in it for the long term, and our reputation is what matters when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, whatever's in their best interest, and more often than not, if they're buying a place and they're borrowing money, we probably are th- their best option more often than not. But when mm-hmm. we're not, that's okay. Yeah, you know, you don't need to fit a square peg into a round hole. Relationships, 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 reputation, reputation, reputation. So yeah, exactly right. No, it's good. And like the other reason I like it, I get like my mom is my business partner, um, which is pretty awesome. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I would, I wouldn't, I don't know, all, all King Midas's gold or whatever. Um, my mom and I in business. Oh boy. Well, was she, was she in that? In that's the how I got into it. Yeah. And like, dad's yeah. still alive. 
Uh, yeah, my dad's still he's cool. still alive. He's at the beach most of the time. He writes full time actually. He's a writer. Yep, he writes fiction. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. That's the life. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but um, that's why you do this. Maybe retire and write. My that's exactly what he did. Um, he had a he was a concrete contractor. Um, for thirty years. What is he? Wrote? What kind of fiction? All over the map, man. Um, boy, he's, and he's boy, published. Oh yeah, he's uh eight books he's published so far. Holy um, books. and uh, Boy from Bethesda is his most popular one. He grew up in the area too. I want to get him on so the podcast. About, yeah, you'd love it. All right. Well, we got to wrap. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nah, come on, B Mac. Um. So anyway, go working with my mom. So my well, I graduated college in 2005, and at that point, the mortgage industry was like. Completely Hot. out of control, Hot right? As, Completely as out of control. Out. Yep. Yeah. And my mom was running an operations center for a large national lender. Uh, so like where the loans are underwritten and processed and all that stuff. And didn't want to work for my mom. Didn't want to work for her. I was temping here and there. And she said, here's what I'll pay you. And I said, all right, awesome. I'm working for my mom. So shortly after, three of my closest friends uh, were working there too. Joe Raskowskis, Mike mm-hmm. Wagner, two, two, two guys you know. Mm-hmm. And uh we grew that office. I think I was a six employee, and then we were at 55 uh, employees in 2008, and then the crash happened, and literally within a week, the entire company, seventh biggest lender in the country, was gone, and uh, was doing financial planning, uh, did the sports thing I mentioned, and went back into mortgages and said that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have as much control over my situation as possible, right? Because I thought... Like what happened to me in 2008 was bullshit, right? Like I, I was really good at my job. I did everything I was supposed to do and I, I played by the rules and then it all got taken away from nothing that I did. And I was like, I don't want to be in a spot where I have no control over again. So went back into underwriting, uh, got licensed to originate shortly after. And then for about two years, I was working full time um, and originating loans on the side, essentially like uh mostly refinances a financial advisor I knew from working would have a client that needed to refinance and they refer them to me. And so I was doing both and, and took about two years to build up my pipeline to the point um, to go out on our own. And during that time, my mom was processing all the loans. So I would bring it in and my mom would process it. Okay. And like pretty good processor. My mom, 30 years in the industry. What does that mean? Process it. So you bring in the loan. And then, like you, you, you win the loan from the bank. Is that what it is? Or, or you, not, whether I'm competing with someone or not, is almost beside the point. But it's like, okay, this makes sense. Let's move forward. And then they start the application. They go through the underwriting process, and would, then they go to would closing. someone when someone uh, enlist you and somebody else to try to get a, a better rate from a bank? Uh, somewhat. So, uh, so you can go three different places for a loan. You can go to a bank, you can go to a lender, and you can go to a broker. You go to a bank, and it's like walking into the bank. People generally don't do that as much anymore. Banks don't have the most competitive terms and they're slow and this and that. And then there's direct lenders, which is the most common stuff. So if you're talking about like Quicken or Rocket Mortgage, they're terrible. Or uh, (laughs) like First Home Mortgage is a really popular local lender and they're fantastic. They have a great reputation. And then you, a broker is someone like me, an independent mortgage broker. There's very few of us in this area. In some parts of the country, they're more popular or more commonplace than others. Um, And we're growing. Uh, We've doubled in size in the last couple of years. Um, and then where I have access to all the lenders that are out there, essentially. So I can somewhat do the shopping. Now, that being said, one broker might have a different margin than another broker. And they're, everyone's going to have a mortgage like any other financial commodity. The, the margin of the person that you're buying it for is going to impact the price you pay for it at the end of the day. So, yeah, people will definitely shop from one one option to another. Usually once they get going, they've kind of committed to that point. They're not technically committed, but most of the time they're done shopping kind of once they get going. 
Um, but yeah, so we did that. We opened up our own branch of this lender um, in 2000 and oh, geez, 2009, 2011, maybe did that for four years and then opened up our own brokerage in 2017. I'm screwing the timeline up, but okay. you get the idea. Not a numbers guy. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> might, I, I, should I don't be. know if you I are. Should, I should be. <laughs> you get the you get the business and the, the back end worries about the numbers in a way. But you said that you 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 get the loan right, and then yep. you, and then your mom processes it. At that time, she what, was okay. At that time, she was, and then it was the two of us. We had our own branch um, for three or four years, something like that, and then opened up our own brokerage, and it was just the two of us, um, and then. After the first year, we bought on one of my oldest friends, uh, Matt Lindy, and he took over the once the loan goes live and all the processing and stuff like that. Without getting too much into the weeds, there's a lot of, of, of rules and paperwork involved in lending somebody a couple hundred thousand dollars, as you can imagine. And it's an extremely complicated process. Um, and we try to simplify it as much as possible and just hold everyone's hands throughout the entire process. So it's not like, okay, cool. You want, you want this, these terms. I don't just hand them off to the bank at that point and say, here, here you go, go go figure it out with them. That's not how it happens at all. Um, we still hold their hand every step of the way as anyone else would. Yeah. So um, what happens when uh, the person that's gotten the loan can't pay it back? Then. then Is that 2008? Uh, yeah. Yes. That's very much. Is that the, is that the sort of the essence of what, uh, with the crash? Uh, I mean, that's what brought it all crashing down. It subprime lending. Some, yeah. I mean, it like a lot of complicated problems you can't just pin the blame on one thing or another. There was a lot of different, but, the, things but you still can identify, it. I think large, there things. was products that not only should, but like, even if we said subprime lending, if you were like, okay, what, what does that mean? The subprime lending, it prime lending generally means like a paper, like, High credit score, lots of equity, stable income, that kind of stuff. So subprime means below prime. And you could argue. Prime's like the market. Yeah. Probably like the what it, what it should be. I mean, the like. The percentage should be. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So like prime is like uh, is a, a, a market indicator that's just nomenclature at that point, I suppose. Okay. Um, and I'm 90% sure on that answer. But um, no, no, on subprime, you could even say like subprime lending shouldn't exist. Like those loans shouldn't exist. Even if you want to make that argument, it was, the problem wasn't just them existing. The secondary problem was that they got pulled into. So when a mortgage closes, it, it gets grouped into a bunch of other similar mortgages and sold as bonds. Okay. As mortgage backed securities. Okay. And mm-hmm. as an investment vehicle. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the other problem, not only these subprime mortgages existed, I would argue if they existed by themselves, it wouldn't have been that bad. But it was compounded by the fact that those mortgages were pooled with other lower risk mortgages to make the overall rating of the bond be better than it should have been. And so essentially defrauding investors. So you can blame the the investment bankers for part of that. You can blame the, the ratings agency you should take a ton of the blame for that for not properly looking at what was in those pools and rating the bonds appropriately. So that's, you know, just a lot of shit went wrong, basically. A little too free, a little too high on the the the, the prospect or the, 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 their thoughts of the reality of the, the uh, economy, you know, like the you idea know. of the, the idea of a bubble bursting, yep. you know, confidence, hubris, yep. all, all you know, yeah. no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, that's our, our process. And then we slowly grew and then grew quicker last year. Um, added three more people last year. Great. Um, so it's been good, man. 
You're at six in we're holding. At six people. Six people. Oh, like six. six in holding. I think. You got your starting five and you got your, your six man? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Diane would be the six Ooh. man. <laughs> Who say Diana? Di- Diane. Diane's oh, yeah. awesome. Diane. Oh, great. She comes in off the bench. Okay, great. Great. Right. Right. You know what? Six man uh, award. There you go. Tony Kukoc. Transition to basketball? Mm, <laughs> maybe. At some point, brother. Oh, man. I'm down, man. I do, yeah. love, I do love basketball. The Wizards are a big passion of mine, but yeah. Um, Not done with the financials right. yet. What do you got? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> So, like, dude, tell me about what the heck happened with 2020. You had a, a serious year, right, of, like, what's the term for it? I saw it on there. Seven, $79 million of loans acquired we or something like that? More than that, we did. So, we did, I as a company, we did 197, and then I did a 180, uh, 181 million um, and over 400 loans, and it was, it was a good year. 2020. 2020. Yeah. And this year will be similar. Yeah. Um, so rates, I the I said it a million times. The pandemic was awful for the world, but it was it was great for us. Um, it caused interest rates to plummet. So you had a situation where I don't care when you bought a house. You sh- if you haven't refinanced over the last year and a half, you, you probably should have. Um, rates just absolutely plummeted, um, and the Fed kept them there um, for a long, long time. Because, and because they, the everything else went to crap. Everything else went to crap. Um, there was a couple different reasons. Uh, so interest rates plummeted. It was kind of a weird situation. Usually you have a situation where the market is doing poorly um, and and people move their money from the stock market to bonds. Okay. And, and bond prices will go up, which will cause interest rates to go down. In this case, the market was still doing really well. Um, but you had two factors. One, a lot of people were keeping money in bonds because there was a lot of volatility going on, which kept up the price of bonds. But also, like the Fed and the U.S. government had a has a in general a vested interest in keeping volatility at a minimum, especially when it comes to interest rates. So the Fed, the Federal Federal Reserve, stepped up and pledged to buy as many mortgage-backed securities as it took to keep the market stable. Um, and only the other day have they started tapering off of that. So that brought rock bottom interest rates um, and a stability to it as well. So they were just low and low for a really long time. Um, and then you had situations where lenders were competing with each other because there was just an unlimited amount of business and um, it had larger margins for a while. And then when you know refinances started slowing down, they lowered their margins even more, which dropped available interest rates even more. Um, and did it was that, like a feeding frenzy for that, a while. Did it play? Was that related to? I mean, your success. I would think this boon um, to the demand for um, homes, the, the housing market. It certainly helped. I mean, when money's cheap, right? Like you, if you have a five hundred thousand dollar loan at six percent compared to the two point seven five percent, right? Like one house is cheaper than the other, even if they the price is the same. Makes okay. sense. Now, well, it's incentive also to buy more. Yes, but you had a. During the pandemic, you had something separate going on where where housing prices were skyrocketing because there were a lot of buyers in the market, which was for a couple of reasons. One, there was already a housing shortage. Even before the pandemic, there were not as many houses as people looking to buy houses. And then it was compounded by the fact that you have a pandemic happening and you have a large number of people that either whether they owned it or not, they were living in their current residence, but not to live and work out of. They were there to live 
to sleep in essentially. Right. And like, especially people that lived in a city where suddenly they went from a life where, yeah, they lived in a condo that wasn't very big, but whatever. They slept there. They went to work during the day and then they had their social lives. There was a lot going on around them. Right. Like city life was happening. And then the pandemic happens and they're not going to work anymore. And none of the city life is happening anymore. So they go from spending eight hours a day sleeping in an apartment to every waking moment there crawling at the walls, right. wanting to get the hell out of there. So, right. And then they're buying houses. Right. And that's where you come in. That's where we come in. Yeah. But yeah, that was causing, so that was causing housing prices to skyrocket. It's, it's, it's flattened off a little bit since oh, then, yeah. as the world's open back up. Right, 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 right. Yep, yep, yep. That's good stuff. So, I mean, yeah, you're one of those few industries that it was a it was win at the back instead of win at the face. Yep. Um, but it's the way it goes. Sometimes. We were in a good spot. We took like as full advantage of it as possible. I was I was happy with the way we pivoted. We were already a remote company more or less to begin with, so that yeah. helped. But um, so 2019, did you have a good year? We had a great year in 2019. All right. When did you start your company? In 2017. All right. Um, so. You were already tracking. You already had success. You know, it wasn't just like a a, a, a kind of one off deal. You got sort of like lucky. You're 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 set up for this sort of like a lob. I don't know, not a lob, but like they, no, they, they, you've done batting practice and they threw one right down the pipe and you crushed, crushed it out of the park. I know what you're saying. Yeah, we were definitely we were definitely lucky, but we were in a position to be lucky. Basically. Correct. Correct. So. Like and anyone in our industry, even if they were in it for one year, had a had a great year. But we were able to really take it to the stratosphere because we had a lot of systems already set up. Um, we had a past client database of a significant number of clients, right? So like all of those people, if we're smart about it, are coming right back to us to refinance with us, right? Yeah. So like we already had had a database to kind of work with and relationships. I don't know. We did a good job. Like a lot of companies. Um, whether it's brokers or lenders or appraisers or every stage of the industry was kind of breaking at one point or another under the, the strain of how much volume there was. It's like obviously a great problem to have, but still a problem. Um, and it was stressful and it was bad. And we were working way too many hours uh, at a lot of different points in 2020, but um, we never broke. Um, so that was good. And and if you do a good job, you get referrals and off you go. Yeah. And I mean, there wasn't much else to do. You know, in 2020, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, you're not going to you're not going to grind. It's not probably mentally the healthiest to sustain that, you know, for too long a period, you know, but you're not going to a restaurant, nope. you know, I mean, yeah, you can you do the Netflix and all that stuff and you have family and all that. But no, I did have to. You know, I, I started making certain rules at some point, at my, some yeah. point for your own sanity, mental health and everything. Exactly what you're saying. Have a, having routine, having I built routine into it. Discipline. So there was it's almost hours like anti-discipline yeah. in a way. It's like you want to be disciplined to work, but then at some point you're going to be too disciplined. Then you're going to fall apart. No, I mean you've got to be disciplined about everything. everything. So I started setting times where I was like, "This is you know." So every day, and I still keep the schedule from uh, twelve thirty until two o'clock. I shut it down. I have lunch with lunch with my family. I put my son down for his nap, um, and then from five. Five five o'clock until seven thirty. I shut it down for more family time, and if I have to go back to work after that, I do. But those are just non negotiable. Amen to that. Yeah, dude. Family equals numero uno. So how come? How what's what's the what is your secret to your success, Mr. McKay? <laughs> all the all the thousands and legions of listeners out there. I, how how do you do? How do you separate yourself from the field? What do you think? I don't know. It's weird to think about like that. But um, I, I 
I, you relative from, to you relative for to the rest of my industry, like uh, just transparency. Uh, I, I I think I'm I'm far more transparent um, with my clients than mo- than than most others are, and w- they might just not even know the answers uh, that they're asking. But and then um, focus on communication. Um, I think we do a really really good job communicating complicated concepts to our clients. Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I spend a lot of time trying new stuff when I'm talking to clients. And if I explain something and I can tell it they're not understanding, I'm like, all right, I got to workshop that a little bit more. And then I explain it the way I used to. But um, so it's a mark of a, a good teacher. I mean, I see a lot of maybe why I see you as a really good family man. And I would I would think I haven't seen you much interaction with you around your kids, but I bet you. You love it and you're good at it um, because there's a kid inside of you, I you know, um, is I hope, that I hope I'm good at as it. serious <laughs> as you might. Get. I mean, as serious, it comes easier some than others. You know what I'm saying? But I think um, the mark of being liking kids and being good with them is uh, is being is having the ability to teach, you know, to, to translate something that might seem difficult or complicated to, uh, into a simpler language. Right. And I try to think, even dealing with my kids, I try to think about it on their terms, right? Like, what what motivates my son? You know, like right now, candy is a very large motivator. So, yeah, yeah. Um, use it use it to our advantage and just get on his level, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same thing with our clients. Obviously, they have a deeper understanding of finances than my children do, but like, they don't have as good of an understanding of finances as I do. So it doesn't help explaining it to them a thousand feet up, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If I, if you get, just, I mean, I just got, we talked earlier, I just got into sort of like real estate development and stuff like that. Um, it's not, if you get, if you put all the acronyms and technical terms to all the side, to go away, yeah. then it's like, it's not that, it's not that complicated. It's not like you're, that's like chemistry or biology or something that's really like rocket science that you, you have to know those things in order to be, to speak the language. Well, and then you start out with the explanation and then you explain the term. A lot of times you don't even have to use it, but like, I'll just explain it in basic English. And then I'll be like, this is called escrows or whatever. Great way to do it. Like, yeah, yeah, don't start with the confusing term because when you start with the confusing term, the person's off balance, right? Like they're already feeling stupid in the conversation. Like they don't know something stupid is aggressive, but like, no one likes having a conversation where they don't understand all the words that are being You're used. You're speaking one language and they don't, they're not no. fluent. And that's like, even if they do it, they feel off balance the entire time and they're making decisions. Like, even if you, you start with a confusing word and then explain what it means, you, you've said something, they're confused and they're thinking about how they're confused, not what you're saying, the explanation. So that's it's just a, it's a great, it's a great it. practical technique. Yeah. It's just like, put it in layman term. And then maybe at the end, this is what it's called, or maybe well, not. I, yeah, I only explain the word if I know they're going to see it again later Correct. in the process, right? If it's, it's necessary. If, if that word is on a document they're going to see later, and I want them to know what it means, then I'll explain it to them. But if not, who like I, who cares? Yeah, not trying to show off. If they ask me, I'll explain it Absolutely. to them. Absolutely. But yeah, no, no, no. why why burden them with unnecessarily the, acronyms? And, and it's, terms a, and it's too complicated to throw extra. I mean, that's there. that's sort of the transparency. Yeah. So I listened to part of. This podcast that you're on over the summer, right? Broker to broker, yeah. Broker, BTB, and in the, in the first uh, in the first sentence, you're like, "Dude, so cool and stoked." <laughs> I was stoked. Fact, it was. Uh, th- that wasn't the sentence, but I'm like, <laughs> "This is professional language." Well, I'm like, "What is the key to his success?" And then I was downstairs right before you got here. I'm like, "Got it, dude." 
Charles Barkley is pretty daggone good at what he does because it's just himself to like to the to the to the number one, he has he has God given incredible charisma, personality, um, humor. Number two, he lets that come out uh, like um, <clears throat> unfiltered, like in the most unfi- in the most unfiltered way, uh, almost almost any other media personality. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that equals he's like Will Bottom called him when I was watching the uh, the documentary called the inside is it inside the inside game? Yeah, the inside yep. game. He says he's the most important most important sports personality. Period. Period. Yeah. Most important sports voice across the, I mean, across any sport. And I'm like, yeah, BMAX got something <laughs> like that because he says, dude, so cool and stoked. <laughs> just like, I don't know. know. It's and like, like let, me not, just, let me no, just finish yeah, my riff yeah. and, you, and you can go. Because uh, I think this is a, a bit large, maybe the largest tip of the hat to almost anybody is the ability to understand who you are and allow for those talents to come out as best you can um and not hold back any of them and it's like you are you you're in in sales like some people say it doesn't really matter you're selling kind of yourself not necessarily the actual item but they're they're investing in you because they trust you because they see who you are and who you are truthfully like 99% of and of what you do you I, know what i'm saying uh, yeah i hope so i like I want to spend all day like trying to fit into the mold of what someone thinks I'm supposed to be or what. And most people don't want to get their mortgage from a stuffy, boring banker anyways. Like, I don't know when we when we opened up the company, I was kind of I was like, all right, we're here. We're at the point I have full control over it. I'm going to try to do this my way and do it exactly the way I want to do. And if stuff doesn't work, I'll pivot from there. But so I'm just going to spend my days being being me and hoping it works out. And so far it has, man. Yeah. That's what Charles Barkley does. <laughs> yeah. He's got the long. It's like, are we going to go hoop now? <laughs> Been waiting. Yeah. Got through that. Where's my sweat rag? <laughs> um, no, I appreciate like you're awesome to talk some business and everything. Um, so funny. Like I, I generally, I do prepare, like do homework for these podcasts. I love it. Um, and this one, I'm like, I was talking to uh, uh, LD yesterday. It was Phil Steele. You're not going to get any. It was Steele. Hold on. <laughs> um, what? Who do you say? I'm like, you don't go to LD for any information I mean, about yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's what, I, that's, what, that's what I learned. I'm like, okay, we'll talk to you later when you, you're back from the Southern Latitudes. Um, and Phil's like, he, like, he loves basketball. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, yeah, and I'm like, fl- I told you earlier, I flip it around. And I found like this, um, the inside story, which is the documentary that was put out, I think, Maybe a year ago, sure. Uh, I think yeah, during maybe during a pandemic because it's like they always say it's like it's on a similar level to the Last Dance about MJ and all. Um, and uh, it's the it's the back it's the documentary on inside the in, NBA inside the NBA. Yep, exactly right. Um, and uh, <laughs> every episode is like an hour fifteen, and as I got through three, and I'm almost through the fourth, I did my homework on that. Yeah. And then I got here, I'm like, you know what, I should probably. Learns a little bit about <laughs> what he's done in the office. I can tell you plenty about that. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. <laughs> As when you walked in, I was halfway through that podcast, which which was interesting. Yeah, for sure. But um, getting in, screwing on into the NBA baby. Yeah, man. But like Wilbon, so they're talking about the four incredible personalities, right? Incredible talents, um, and everyone has their own. Everyone has the ro- a role. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um. 
Ernie Johnson is the playmaker. Or uh, I forget how they call it. Me, the director. Yep. You know, and then it goes to uh, who's the second guy? Kenny. Kenny Smith. Yep. He's the quote role player. Yep. And then these are all labels that they gave for the episodes. And they then they jump to Sir Charles, who is like I don't even what they could maybe the legend. I don't know. Personality, the magic man, I don't know, like yeah. yeah. And then the last one is Shaq, who's the baby, or, you know, or the little brother, or like little comic, brother, comic relief, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> they're they're incredible, but they're talking about Chuck, sure, yeah. It's like Wilbon's like nobody has longer rope than no. he has in the industry. He does, and even in in our environment right now, where uh, you. Uh, he is one of the few people that can get away with saying things that w- that would be offensive. We were talking about earlier, and he still gets away with it. He still gets away with it because people know him long enough and know he has a genuine heart. I suppose that's that's my best guess for it. But, yeah, um, he gets the benefit of the doubt that that very few other people do unilaterally. He's from- done it for so long. Yeah. I mean, since what oh three maybe oh four. Uh, it's a long time, and. Uh, and it's and it's like consistency compound cons, consistency compounds or something like that, um, but it, it and how like unvarnished he is. Yep, is like nobody's on that level. Yep, I that I can tell in in media, you know. No, um, and like Arnold's probably the closest, but he hasn't come Schwarzenegger close to doing as many. Like yeah, Arnold. I mean yeah. Trump. Yeah. You know, back when he was, he they say he redefined the gaff. Sure, sure, you know? sure. But he, plenty of people hate him. I don't know. Most people like still think positively about Arnold. I'd say, um, I certainly do. Yeah, and I don't know. And he's had his like his trips and his falls, and he's rebounded from him. I'd say, I don't yeah. know. But no, nobody's really close to Charles. He's awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. Yeah, one of the he's, they they put him in the category of three others: Howard Cosell. John Madden in his like heyday, and then Chuck. Okay, <laughs> I have another. I have one someone I compare him to that's not in sports, but he's in media. Howard Stern is somebody that it's mm-hmm. it's similar. Like mm-hmm. he can get away with 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 saying whatever he wants. Yeah, and like I don't think any of these people any and that would be mentioned have are malicious. You no. know, and it's like get get away with it. They just say what comes to them. Sometimes when you say what comes to you. It doesn't like you said earlier, kind of like how you how you're phrasing email. You don't want to uh, upset anyone, obviously. Um, but like when you're talking instead of writing, yeah. it comes out quicker. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Sure, I, yeah. there are plenty of people that that say whatever comes to them that are that are not great people deep down inside, though, and and, yeah. no, and, and that comes out. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not. Yeah, I agree with that. But no, I love I love that show. I love the NBA. I, I've always loved the NBA. What is it about the NBA you like? That they are, I think they're the best athletes in the world, um, by and large. You can sit here and be like, this NFL player is a better athlete, this and that. Uh, sure. But like, uh, uh, by uh, on the average, the average NBA player is, and, and just average NBA game, you will see something in every NBA game that just doesn't seem possible. Um, and I absolutely love it. And the players have more personality. Um, so it's they're more fun to follow. They don't have helmets on their heads. You can on. identify with them more. Yeah. Uh, than, than than football players or other sports, and it's exciting and it's fast paced. It's not perfect, and I understand some people's complaints about it. But man, I just I love it. I love it, yeah. and I've always loved it. And then I, if I'm being fair, I went to college, and and one of my closest friends, Ian Gaynor, uh, and then we lived together for three years, and he played on the basketball team. So. 
that Where took at? it and just Allegheny. Cool. Allegheny up in Meadville, Pennsylvania. But cool. And that just took it to the stratosphere, and it's been that way ever since. And, like, they're that? fun. The, when I got out of college, like, those were the Gilbert Arenas years for the Wizards, and, like, I recognize it didn't end well, but that team was a lot of fun to watch, and I went to a lot of games, and and it was it was really, really fun, man. Yeah. And it's just been still been a passion. I don't get to watch as many games as I, as I used to, um, but the kids will get a little older, and that'll come back, but yeah. That, that TNT song. You know? <laughs> they, they, there's a name for it. Bob Costas uh, said it in the documentary. I forget what it's called, though. Um, but obviously somebody composed it and named it. Yeah. Um, they, uh, yeah, basketball is like not, it's, dribbling a basketball is, is not easy. Well, and that is, so that was also, that's the other reason. That was the sport I was best at. I wasn't great at, at any of them, but. I, I played on JV Juggernauts, you know, Georgetown Prep, nineteen ninety seven. Let's go, and uh, mm-hmm. it was a decent skier. But I was I wasn't very good at football or, or baseball. Basketball was the one sport I, I could hold my own at. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's like when I was teaching in modern day, like what was one of the more uh, amusing um, events was um, when we had the blue versus white basketball game and like you know the basketball players will play first they're the starting five and then they stop and then like at the end like the non-basketball players which a lot of them happen to be wrestlers okay but dribbling's hard yeah it is <laughs> it's very and, like, hard it's and it's, just, it's a serious like litmus test for eye-hand coordination yeah well <laughs> yeah. and then it's like it's not similar to anything you're doing in other sports, right? Except like dribbling in soccer, but yeah. one with your foot, one with your hand, they're pretty different. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, they're like th- you throw a football in, fo- in football and you, you throw a baseball in baseball. Like that's similar motions mm-hmm. and stuff. You're not dribbling in anything else. I guess mm-hmm. rugby or something. I don't know, man, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. And like, I would agree like the athleticism level is just freakish. It is. It's unbelievable. And they get better and better every year. And, and now it's at a peak. Like there's more talent in the league than there ever has been for a couple of reasons. The biggest is it's global now, right? Like the dream team, you know, 1992, and then they spread basketball everywhere. And then you got to wait 15, 16, 17 years before kids following it are old enough to be playing and stuff like that. And now you just, it's a global sport and you have talent from everywhere. It's awesome. So you like, you like the idea of when 92 and they opened it up to professionals. As versus amateur. That was the first I year. Guess. Went from amateur to, to professional. Yeah, I don't have that hard of an opinion the, on it. Opinion. I don't know. The dream team was pretty awesome. I don't know if it had battery percussions otherwise, but yeah. it was pretty sweet. It was definitely good for the game of basketball. I don't know if, whether it was good for the Olympics or not. It seemed like at the time it was just levering the playing field from other countries that were cheating with, with their athletes mm-hmm. anyways. So I don't mm-hmm. know. It definitely put, as you said, on the global, it, it, it put a shot in the arm of basketball on the global scale, yeah. right? Everyone saw this amazing team. Um, Sir, they, a lot of people say Sir Charles played the best uh, during that Olympics, um, and uh, all the little children saw it on the again on the global. And they scale. loved it. They were like, loved, I want to, I want to, I want to play that game. Yep. And the, and the advantage basketball has is that you need a ball. And you need a hoop. Yep. And so that's uh, cheap. And you can go play. Yep. You, know, you can go play. Shoes would help too. Yeah. She has shoes. Eh, I'm not gonna, you can do <laughs> you don't have to. It. No. I've done it before. <laughs> Where? Yeah. Like. You know. Yeah. And that's that's why base. You know, baseball is played in so much of South America and stuff yeah. like that. But like football, you can't. It, that football's football is expensive. Hockey's expensive. Hockey, golf, yeah. All you know? expensive. Yeah. And yeah. not only even if even if one kid has enough money for the equipment in football, you need uh, twenty one others. You know, like it. it yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly right. 
You go, or you go play pickup hoop. You can go right now. I got a hoop right outside. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, hoops. Uh, it's, it's cool. It's a cool, great sport. I, I, I love it. Of all the sports, you know, I was a sportsman. You know, I, I, my favorite memories was playing, like, freshman freshman hoop yeah. for prep. And, like, you know, and p- playing pickup. And just uh, it's a fun, yeah. fun game. I want to get back to it. I'm excited when my, my son my son and daughter are old enough to start playing and stuff. I'm I'm gonna coach all the teams. I can't wait. It's I gonna be it. great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's another. Uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, really fun. Really, ever coached before? Yes. Uh, at, at prep, we had to do our community service, which was wonderful, and I coached a softball team at Holy Redeemer with my mom. Actually, <laughs> sixth grade girls softball the partnership. Yeah, <laughs> began began young. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. I guess it did. <laughs> did your mom and I, you and your mom get along well. We do. We get along really well. My mom's awesome. And yeah. like, you know, you, the comment you made earlier, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know if I could work with my mom. And I usually say, I don't know if I could work with your mom either. But <laughs> my mom, my yeah. mom's a shit. So, yeah, it's like works uh, out well. Yeah. Why not? If you guys have the right personality, there's yeah, and there's you gotta understand boundaries. Yes, you know it's like we started to learn that. Your mom, yeah. your mom is <laughs> your mom is like uh, you know she's in, she was in the business, so she's oh. not she's not coming from well, scratch. She's a beast at it too. She wasn't just like she was running offices of 50, 60 people. She yeah. was the president of the Mortgage Brokers Association in Maryland. Like my mom's no joke, so like she knows her shit, and and like we had you know some fights that normal business partners probably wouldn't have had, but like. You know, oh, those are few and far between, and and I haven't had one in a really long time, so that's nice too. But it's been overwhelmingly positive. It's been awesome, man. I get to like talk to my mom every day. You know, most thirty nine year old men don't don't can't say that. It's so. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a treat, and also to talk over um, something that you probably both love. Oh, we you both know, oh, that, we do have that similar chord. Yep, you know what I'm saying. Well, in all her very unusual, she's passed on her, her association involvement to me too. She was always very involved with the Maryland uh, Mortgage Bankers and Brokers Association. Now I'm on the board there, and I do stuff with our national association too. And so I followed followed her path. It's good, man. I love it, man. And your dad sits at the beach and writes, more or less. That's completely true. <laughs> Where? Where's the house? <laughs> Bethany West. Jesus, he's yeah. down there like probably eighty percent of the time. Um, oh, damn it. He likes it. He loves it. Um, before it's a good place to channel the muse. It is, and they they have their their spot there, and they've done some work on. He loves it, and it's peaceful and quiet back there. And I gotta, I gotta, I'm I'm going, I'm going on this weekend. Well, I want, like, I want, I want to, I want to get in touch with him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not this weekend, but no, sometime soon. He'd love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but like their age group, they're all retiring down there. So like, he's all their high school friends are down there. They've got a more active social life than than they've had in years. Such a fortunate sort of uh, influx or unforeseen boon. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a way, Montgomery County East, man. And uh, yeah, and the, and the COVID thing only just like put fuel under the fire. Yep. You know, it did getting out of the. Crowd. No, he stayed there yeah. completely during during COVID. He didn't. He didn't come home at all. Yeah, something about that salt air, man. Yeah, dude. You know, <laughs> um, any any parting words, bro? No, man. I appreciate you having me on there. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. Parting words. Just be cool. Be cool to people. Be cool to one another. And you, g- give man. give everyone the benefit of the doubt and and you know think about things from their perspective. I think that the the world would be a much better place if everyone stopped getting angry so quickly and thought about what the other where the other person was coming from or take a second to ask them where they're coming from. Um, And, you know, you'll find out that you agree with most other people on far more things that you disagree about 
and start talking about the stuff you agree about. And then you'll have much more success solving the problems on the stuff you do disagree with. I love it. Cheers, I buddy. I can't Thanks top, for having me. I can't man. top that. <laughs> Ooh. LaRange. <laughs> Rock and roll. So this is just sort of your ambient music. This is what, this is what I work background to. Background music. Or, this is what I work to. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen to it in the car, too. But, yeah. I'm trying to. Just beats, baby. Yeah. Minimal lyrics. I'm trying to like a restaurant, maybe, or a lounge, or, you know, loungy cool, music. Coolest elevator you've ever been in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, the standard for elevator music is not very high. You'll hear, you'll hear this stuff at, like, hipster, hipster bars and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a spot, Spotify recommendation. You heard it here. Brendan McKay, thank you, bro. Yep, you got it, buddy. Later. You got it. Bye-bye. What you just heard was a pillar of community. What lights your fire? What gets you out of bed? What speaks in your heart? These are the questions of pillars. And it is these pillars who have the answers. Pillars live these personal truths with with hearts on fire every day and with everything they do. And this is why they stand pillars of community. In Fuego, Billy Garish. Pillars of Community Podcast Production 2021. Be a pillar.